for undergraduates at Princeton, co-education began in the fall of 1969. At the graduate school, the arrival of women came earlier, albeit in smaller numbers. Paul wrote about one of the graduate school's pioneering women a few months ago, Sai Ying Cheng, a biochemistry student who was the first woman to receive a Princeton PhD in 1964. Last month, we spoke with another, Elia Chelik, the first woman in the School of Architecture. I am Elia Pekin Chelik. My first introduction to Princeton University was when I was a graduate school in Ankara, Turkey at the Middle East uh, Technical University. And uh, I got the Fulbright Scholarship and I applied to a number of schools and Princeton was my favorite and I was lucky I uh, got the first acceptance from Princeton University. And this was uh, 1968. I was a good student and I was interested in many things related to architecture. But most of all, I wanted to serve, you know, not big companies and so on, but I wanted to serve the poor and the disadvantaged. And it is not easy to do that when you're an architect. I was coming as an international student and at that time Princeton University wasn't accepting uh, women students. There might have been some uh, schools which did that, I am not sure, but uh, I think the rule for having women students came in 69 as far as I can remember. So Professor Geddes decided to consider me as an international student and not pay any attention to whether I am a man or a woman, so that is how I got in. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't aware that it was a men's school either. Uh, maybe it was a good thing that I was married, but in other ways I thought that that uh, was not so good at that time because the married students were very few. I mean, I don't know, in our class there were, I remember two other uh, friends who were married, but uh, the married students were sort of sidelined. So we didn't live in the graduate college, which was so uh, important at that time. We lived in Butler, which was far away from campus and didn't have the sort of, uh, I don't know, the heirs of the graduate college. That was one reason. And also there weren't too many. I mean, we are talking about three international and three married students that I can remember. So the um, rest of the students and especially architectural students, they were not too friendly with me. Maybe I can say that. Maybe they were not used to uh, having, well, I don't know, female uh, colleagues. So, I mean, but I was so busy, I didn't even notice how they behaved with me. But now looking back, I mean, I don't know who was talking to whom. My, of course, accent is now existing, but at that time probably it was worse. I didn't understand most of the jokes that they were <laughs> making. Uh, so I felt that, you know, I was a little bit sidelined, that uh, sideline, that is the only uh, problem that I had. 
And I had the luck of working with Michael Graves, Charles Quatemi, Eduardo Lorenzo. Uh, for my thesis, uh, I chose the topic of housing for the poor. And that, I came to that point from a number of angles. For example, uh, the Lorenzo class was, uh, you know, he talked a lot about slums and, you know, favelas. Uh, coming from Latin America, so he emphasized that part, the poor housing for the poor. In Ken Frampton's uh, history of architecture class, he taught about the Russian Revolution and its impact on the design of housing, uh, housing for the masses, uh, the minimum requirements of housing. Viktor Olgyay's class on bioclimatic design was sort of the parent of uh, alternative use of alternative uh, energies for heating and cooling. So it was also all human oriented. So the important, the focus were the users and their economic condition, their health condition, rather than the design of the building. So it was really uh, looking at the needs of the users. So I found all of that, and that had a big impact on my thinking. While I was at Princeton, I got pregnant, so I was very careful and worried that it, was, it would show. I thought it was very embarrassing to be a student and pregnant at the same time. Being the only woman and then being pregnant, I, I, I was, I don't know, it, sound, it felt very strange to me at that time, but now it looks very silly, of course. <laughs> and I had, at that time, had a request from uh, the Middle East Technical University. The dean wrote me a letter saying that, oh, we are expecting you back, you have to come and teach. And that was something I would have liked to do. And when I got back to Turkey, I had a big surprise. These are, the, of course, when I was working so hard at Princeton University, this is the famous 1968. There were all these student movements and so on here in U.S., which I completely ignored, and in Turkey as well. So there was a big struggle between the sort of leftists and the rightists. So the dean who wrote to me is, was considered to be a rightist. By that time, uh, a sort of leftist dean replaced him, and he didn't accept me. So I was so broken. I was so unhappy for a while. Uh, and I was so sorry that I left. But, you know, it has already been done. But, in fact, this guy who, who rejected me did the best for my future because, because of him, I didn't go follow the academic career, but I went to the United Nations, which I really enjoyed and did what I wanted to do. <laughs> I, I was a shy person, and Princeton gave me sort of the backbone. <laughs> I could... I became more confident, and I carried that confidence throughout my work. And uh, probably I could do things that I wouldn't have attempted otherwise.
After earning her MFA at Princeton, Chelik completed her PhD in her native Turkey and worked for six years at UN Habitat, the United Nations Human Settlements Program in Nairobi, Kenya. She returned to the United States in 1987 to work for UN Habitat in New York City. She also reconnected with Princeton as a volunteer in the Association of Princeton Graduate Alumni. Today, she lives in New York and serves as the UN representative for the organization United Cities and Local Governments. Brett Tomlinson, digital editor of PAW, produced this episode of PAW Tracks. The music is licensed from Firstcom Music. For more web exclusives, visit our website, paw.princeton.edu.